0: the ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today's Tuesday, June 28th, 2011. So, why is it raining? It's practically the 4th of July weekend, of course. It is a water planet. We know that, so I guess we're going to get a little wet. I love it myself. I'm Irish. My head is spinning this week. I I thought perhaps you know, I should go all the way back to square one. I thought that last night at midnight, and about four hours later, I woke up so exhausted. Uh, I went, I went and looked in my notes, and I found some curious things. I found, uh, I found that basically most of the notes and feedback that I get here. Uh, dealt with, oh gosh, last week's show, I think a couple of people said, why is it always men who are to blame, that is, males, and I guess I've got to get to that subject, you know, there's such a problem, folks, Uh, this business of militarism, and uh, violence, and uh i think what we have here is a failure to communicate um i'm always saying you know where's your systemic perspective guys uh you know how it it goes uh, they always say well you know it's not me it's nothing personal uh i i guess i think what what hit me <laughs> the supreme court has just decided, you know, that violent video games are a civil right. Well, of course they are. So is pornography and all the rest of it, free speech. Uh, uh, But, you know, uh, Clarence Thomas, he's the odd man. out. Anyway, he said that minors... Minors, uh, you know, uh, the first amendment doesn't apply to them. Juveniles get no free speech. Molly Ivans used to say, you know, you have got to laugh or you will go insane. We live in absurdistan, folks. Uh I know that a number of lefties um would prefer that we get rid of some of the uh what is it, the games, the violent games. My little sons used to say, Look, Mother, it's a toy. It's a toy. Vroom, vroom. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that the uh, uh, the jury's still out on all that nonsense. I, I'm just exhausted to think that uh, we sp- spend time and money and resources on something so silly. Uh, obviously, it's a free speech issue, uh What's at the bottom of it, or the back of it, the subtext of it, is that we are a violent nation. Uh, years ago, I remember a network television series. They they tried to talk about why America's violent, guns, guns, guns. And they talked about it for um, five nights, two hours a night, ten hours total. At the end of all this, they came to the conclusion that, yes... We were a violent nation, but we were a nation primarily of violent males. The females were somewhat uh, less violent, although they're learning. One of the criminologists and one of the sociologists said, Well, okay, they said, next step, let us study the ways that women solve problems. The whole panel went berserk. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. And the homophobia came up. They said they didn't want to be, they didn't want to feminize the men and blah, blah, blah. And they all got tangled up in the language the way I do. And nothing they said made any sense. It just provoked people. It just made matters worse. You know how that goes. Uh, When I thought about it later, I thought, well, uh, hmm. If I could get my students, I was a teacher then, if I could get them to watch television long enough uh, and count heads, that is, watch all the violence, so-called violence, fantasy violence and real violence and tell me how much of it involved women and how much of it involved guys, uh you know. Maybe they'd get the sense of it, and they did, and they came back, and they said yes, but the women were the victims of violence, so they were in the show too, right? Uh Uh-huh, it was called, they called them Women in Jeopardy. It's part of the plot, Women in Jeopardy. Anyway, we came to the conclusion that none of it uh, made very much sense. Uh, Gets to the point now where you can only state the obvious over and over and over again. People's eyes glaze over. Uh, I think what I'll do today, I will go back to square one. Uh, dare to be dull. I tell myself, dare to be dull. My favorite uh, authority, voice on the subject of men, that is male men, guys, is Phyllis Chesler and uh i read a bit of her recently on the air uh she's i think out of favor at the moment because she was what we call uh, a party line feminist you know a uh, feminist fist in the air back when It was the thing to do. It's a very short period. Oh, a couple of years, almost a couple of years. uh, It was a period when you could go to a poetry reading and uh, you could read feminist poetry, uh, party line feminist poetry. And everyone would cheer. Now, that's not the way it goes anymore. Now, it's kind of a given Uh, but we don't, what is it, we don't deal with it, we just, uh, we just accept the fact that, um, you know, violence is fun for guys. Uh, if one more person tells me that, uh, violence on, uh, on television is good for you, uh, um, I, I don't know, I think what it does is, I think it numbs the mind and the heart, I think that's what the video games do, uh. But it's obviously not the problem. It's just uh, it's just a symptom. It's just the effect. It's not the cause. Uh, so I'd like to go down to the bottom of this issue, down to the causes. Uh, what I'll do today, I'm going to read you a little bit of Phyllis Chesler's book about men, a little bit of the preface. Uh, she came up with the notion of studying men or males the way an anthropologist would do in her book about men she deals oh I, I love the bits where she deals with the arts that's where we see things writ large go to the great paintings go to the art uh and to the literature and to everything in our world uh and you will see the uh, the portrait of uh masculinity uh Writ large, I think. Um, I think what we neglect. What is it? We used to. We used to say that we needed schools, uh, feminist schools for young boys, and I, I think we, we wrote a curriculum for those schools, and it it uh, it was a real turnoff. Uh, anyway, the concept of studying men the way an anthropologist studies other. Uh, other nationalities or groups that uh, we haven't come to that uh, I think what I'll do let's see Phyllis Chesler writes like most women I've been observing and interviewing men all my life beginning with my father in writing my book my questions to men about themselves had to become more direct the men often grew uneasy and silent Wives and mothers whisper of male silence at home. Women are always saying, you know, what is he thinking about? Uh, Why doesn't he talk to me? Think of all the men returning from war saying that they cannot talk to their wives. Uh, Let's see. She says that women uh, are bound to secrecy. By a kind of blood tie. Marriage is a blood tie. Yes, I remember that. Always, always. Protect male space. Protect male privilege. Uh, it's one of the first duties of a wife, sister, mother, daughter. Uh, it's the compassionate thing to do. Anyway, Phyllis Chessler says that as a psychologist and an author, I was often perceived as a woman with some kind of unnatural authority. Or with frightening pretensions to authority. Ah, there we go. When you are the author of your own existence, that is definitely, definitely a guy's job. Anyway, she said that if she could put men at their ease, uh, if she could make them feel non-threatened and non-judged, if she could communicate with them non-verbally then sometimes she could get some information uh she says that men's need for maternal compassion and approval is so great so unconscious so pervasive that its shadow fell across every relationship or encounter i've ever had with men i have a footnote here trying to remember all of the men that i have known that uh I didn't, what is it, that I didn't sleep with, work for, or um, or wasn't related to. I guess there would be about three. Uh, anyway, Phyllis Chesler goes on to say, as a woman, would I offer any particular man understanding, a sense of importance, a feeling of acceptance, Would I evaluate what any man told me with a Madonna's Pieta-like compassion, with a Magdalene's unquestioning belief? Just how well I played the part of mother woman, totally determined how tense, how relieved, how replenished most men, upon being questioned, felt. She said... She says, very few men could talk to me without some unconscious reference to this dynamic. Very few could speak freely. Uh, for this reason, it's almost impossible for a woman's knowledge of men to be objective. Female knowledge of men always partakes of the intimate, the subjective The relational, that is to say, right? how do they feel about me? Hmm. She goes on to write, upon being questioned about themselves by a woman, many men are reluctant to be tape-recorded, nervous about note-taking, possessive of their information, there you go, cautious about revealing anything of themselves... Most of all, men find it startling, absurd, insulting, humorous to be interviewed as men, as part of the male condition, as representatives of one half of the human condition. This is because men are used to asking the questions. They are used to conducting the interrogation, especially with women. (laughs) Most adult men are used to knowing the answers, or at least used to thinking they should. Unanswered questions from women, frustrate, puzzle, embarrass men, being interviewed, it is as if they were small boys again. Being cross-examined by mom. Still, my asking to hear about men from their own lips awakened old longings and habits in both of us. After all, men are used to revealing certain things about themselves only to women. Most men expect women in general to keep male secrets, cherish male frailty, and forgive male cruelty. Women in general try to assuage male insecurity and loneliness. Women in general provide them with some comfort, some immediate validation of themselves. And this page I have full of all the notes from Virginia Woolf where she says, how it is, that guys need to use women as a mirror in which to see themselves twice their size, (laughs) indeed, indeed. Rarely, says Phyllis Chesler, rarely do men unconsciously expect such unconditional compliance from each other. Adult men expect understanding only from specific other men, never men in general. Uh, they expect it in terms of mutual understanding. Well, I was thinking last week I was reading about uh, the death of Osama bin Laden and one of his younger sons had said that uh, he broke faith with his father and never saw him again when his father asked his sons to perform jihad. And he realized then that his father hated his enemies more than he loved his sons. I think that that's a serious confrontation. Uh, I think that if more men in our military culture could get to that point, maybe we would have a (laughs) U-turn, a break in the chain. Uh, She goes on to say, it was so strange to be interviewing men, that is men that she had lived with uh, in love or marriage. Uh... uh I can't imagine, here's another footnote, I can't imagine doing such a thing. I can't imagine talking to um, son, friend, lover, anybody, uh, as if they were an object. Uh, hmm. It's like they're creatures from another planet. Uh, Apparently, says Phyllis Chesler, No ideology, not psychoanalysis, not Marxism, not existentialism, not feminism, can sufficiently answer questions about man's psychological nature. Here I have another footnote. I remember talking to a filmmaker once and asking him uh, why it was that um, men could not explain the the nature of rape. Uh why the movies about rape were so completely confusing. Uh I said, you know, you're you're the ones who have to figure out why this takes place. Um women uh women don't know why. Uh anyway, uh for a woman this discovery the discovery that we cannot know man's psychological nature uh is equivalent, psychologically, to man's or men's 19th century discovery that God is dead. <laughs> Any man, a uh, human being, who is unknown to himself, uh, well, <laughs> he does not know who he is himself. So how can he tell me uh, she goes on to to write uh, about the ways in which she tries to understand men. She says that first she tried to read the books written by men and about men, and she found them, she said, uh, to be limited. Uh, she said the only people, the only males who spoke about themselves in a personally authentic voice were poets and novelists. Right, that's where I learned everything that I know about men. Uh, I think very few men have ever spoken to me honestly about what they feel. Uh, A few. Um, Let's see. The male condition, as they describe it, yes, is different from the female condition. (laughs) So, the best answers can be found, she says, in myth, in fable, in religious writing and in painting and sculpture, right? So, she says, go to the pictures. Pictures, she says, are much better than words. Hmm. The pictures, she says, tell her that men have an intense longing to be able to create life and to be reunited with a loving paternal deity. Uh Aha. Okay. She uses Michelangelo's creation to depict the male godhead that gives life, gives birth to the world's first man. Mm-hmm. Along with the Bible, yes. <laughs> I always like Athena springing from the head of Zeus. Ah, She says that the artist in her was seduced by images of men. Gaunt patriarchs, golden warriors, the haunted poets of romantic Europe, the masters of death in our own century, and by the images of men that I've known in my own life. <laughs> then she talks about uh, the male portraits of, uh, well, those who were uh, her betrayers. As she said, and those whom I have betrayed in turn by ceasing to love them, by never forgiving them their fragility in the face of love. There's a great deal here about the danger presented to men. uh, Yes, uh, vulnerability, that's the biggie. The difficulty men have in expressing love, of course, is the threat terrible threat to their own ego. Uh, and she goes on about the themes of Eden, um, the male sense of primal guilt and damnation. <laughs> you remember Mark Twain? When he writes about Eve, he says, uh, well, he, he has Eve say in the diary of Adam and Eve. Eve says, uh, well, he told on me, But I would never have told on him. I would have perished first. When I first read that as a young girl, I thought how sweet it was of Mark Twain to attribute to women this higher motive. Uh, Yes, that Adam went to God and told on her, saying that she's the one who said to eat that apple. He was a snitch. Adam was a snitch, yes. But I don't think that's quite fair. I think that Mark Twain was very busy giving women a higher moral status than they perhaps deserve. Uh, You try to read the diary of Adam and Eve. I think that's the most uh, humorous, poetic, and delightful picture of man and woman. Uh, And one-upmanship, right. Uh, Who's the noblest one of all? Uh, Anyway... Phyllis Chester goes on to say... ...that men more than women seem tormented... ...by exile from paradise... ...from innocence. <laughs> yes. take them out of the garden and make them work for a living. Mm-hmm. She goes on here to write about the facts of maternal child abuse. After all, most males and females are raised primarily by women. Maternal child abuse, a subject that I always run away from in terror. Uh, uh Uh-huh. Paternal child abuse, well, uh, we always talk about, oh, unemployment stress or... Male biologically based short tempers. Yes, short tempers. Uh, Post-traumatic stress syndrome. Right. Uh, Take it out on the kids. Uh Aha. Always we can make excuses for daddy's short temper. Uh, I was thinking of that the other day reading about ancient Greeks and their warfare. They used to... Uh, camp the armies make them camp outside the city gates when they returned from a war they um, left them out there for six weeks or longer so they could decompress from their battle fatigue you know they uh, came home exhausted and very violent they would send out prostitutes or uh, anyway some kind of compassionate female influence to uh, decompress these guys to To mellow them out before they came home, before they uh, returned to the domestic scene. Anyway, uh, anyway, Phyllis Chester goes on to talk about uh, women and children and uh, how men uh, wish to see themselves as owners and keepers. Uh, (laughs) Okay, I have a list here of movies I used to use to try to illustrate to students, uh, family dynamics, uh, and the next section here, is all about male bonding, I remember, Phyllis Chester once saying, uh, that she was not afraid of men, in the sense that she was certainly not afraid of the postman, or the people she knew, or, uh, the guys in her family, it was armies, uh, Bonded males, Uh, let's see, I think always of uh, the pictures we see of huge armies goose-stepping through the world. Uh, Oh, they're more a machine than a man. Uh, And then she writes about the lovingly insane roar of male spectators at uh, sporting events, you know. The heroic stuff, uh, football games, I went to a football game once, I'm telling you once, never again, Uh, Virginia Woolf once pointed out uh, that men need to see themselves reflected uh, as so much bigger than they are, and it is my impression that women need men to feel their femininity, they need men, uh, let's see, to be, I guess I'd say, big daddy, the paternal role. The notion that, yes, there's something there that they call security, a protector, it's the Cinderella syndrome, I guess. Uh, there is nothing more depressing than submissive men. We all know that. Uh, we don't like wimps Um uh, they're supposed to stand up for us and protect us oh I wish I could get to the bottom of this essay Uh, true rebellion against a father writes Phyllis Chesler frightens sons terribly a son who is able to overthrow his parent. That's a new age. So think of the Arab Spring. I've been looking at these young men and admiring their courage. Do you think it is possible that for a change, the older men are going to have to suffer? That the old guys are going to have to (laughs) pay for their sins and not the young guys? Uh, I'll be back on the air Uh, This time next week, till then, this has been Jennifer Stone. Go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. La Peña Culture Center proudly presents an evening with social critic and noted author Michael Parenti. Parenti will be discussing developments on the U.S. political scene, the Occupy Movement, and the struggle against corporate capitalism. This event is Friday, January 6th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets are $10 to $12 donation. This is a benefit for La Peña Culture Center, an arts and culture organization located at 3105 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley. We are wheelchair accessible and only two blocks from the Ashby BART. For more information, give us a call at 510-849-2568 or visit us at www.lapena.org. Thanks for your support. Tune in to listener-supported KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is now approaching 3.30 p.m. Stay tuned for free speech.